Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp, a Star Trek podcast. Join us on our continuing mission to explore intersectional diversity and infinite combinations. My name is Grace, and thanks for tuning in. With me today are Sue. Hi there. And Jera. You're not my real mom. <gasps> Who told you? My real mom. <gasps> oh, she wouldn't. Now, before we get on to our very dramatic episode topic, we've got a little bit of housekeeping to touch on first. Our show is made possible by our patrons on Patreon. We love you guys so much. You keep us afloat and make all of this happen for us. If you'd like to become a patron, you can do so for as little as a dollar a month and get excellent bespoke rewards from thanks on social media to silly watch-along commentaries. Visit www.patreon.com forward slash women at warp. Do you not have enough podcast merch in your life? Do you want to fix that? Do you want to know the steps to take to fix that deficit of podcast merch in your life? Yes, please. We've got a Tee Public store. Glad to say. We're adding new designs all the time on t-shirts, tote bags, notebooks, and more. You can find it at tpublic.com forward slash stores forward slash women at warp. We've got a great variety of products on there and we're always finding new ones to promote through our shop. Let me see. We've got convention merch up on our site. We've got some beautiful anniversary patches and pins that were designed to celebrate 50 years of Star Trek conventions. Emerald City Comic Con is coming up. My hometown con. Can't wait to see it. And I can't wait to see you there. It'll be just a few weeks out when we air this episode. And I cannot wait. Exciting. So this episode is a very special episode. The mother of all episodes, one might even say, (laughs) is a special patron thanks. It was suggested by our listener, Joseph, and he suggested the episode from DS9 Season 7, in which Esri and O'Brien are on a different planet, and Esri's mom is a boss and her brothers are actually trash. It's heavily implied it's this way because there is no dad. So for those of you who don't remember, that episode is Prodigal Daughter, which is the one where Esri goes back home for the first time after being joined and gets into some Miss Marple mischief, one might say. Mm -hmm. Indeed. We've got a quote here about the background of the episode. Jared, do you want to give us that? Yeah, sure. I'll tell you a little bit about the background. So basically, they were looking to do an episode about Esri's backstory, but big Part of the problems with this episode is that they were rapidly running out of time to put the episode together. And Ron Moore actually said, basically, that the show was already in prep. So it was a case of first thought, best thought, just throw it down and move on, because we've got to get 10 pages out today. So boom, you just blaze through it. (laughs) I mean, it's better than writing by committee, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I guess, man, is it? I mean, look at this episode. (laughs) So, um, Fire Stephen Bear was working on this story about Ezri's family and the Orion Syndicate, and he wanted this to basically be like Deep Space Nine Godfather, where Ezri would be like the character of Michael Corleone. <laughs> okay, but if but if Bashir is the love interest sort of at this point, does that mean he's going to show up in Diane Keaton's like floofy yes. orange dress to the wedding? Oh, this would have made this so much better. There is going to be just a single guy waiting outside her mom's office, uh, practicing what he's going to say to her, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. There's going to be an inexplicably super Italian wedding band playing in New Sydney. Yes. I'm just saying, if they were going in this direction, they should have leaned further into it. I 100% agree. Someone should have woken up with a target in their bed. <laughs> Vic Fontaine, obviously, I guess. <laughs> but... <laughs> There's a point where someone makes a really big deal about saying, leave the gun, take the gah. Oh, boy. <laughs> 
when as so the idea is that, you know, Esri doesn't have any interest in the family business. And when Esri returns home, her mother would reveal that it was the Orion Syndicate who quote unquote arranged for Esri to be given the Dax symbiont on the USS Destiny. But apparently it was dropped because it was a little too sleazy to suggest that Starfleet could be manipulated like that. I also don't know that that's true, looking at the rest of Deep Space Nine. Uh-huh. Sleazy is as sleazy does, really. There's variations. Yeah, so basically we came out with this episode that basically everyone kind of agrees is is probably the worst episode of the season or or among the worst episodes of the season. Which isn't to say it's a bad episode. It's just not sort of up to snuff with some of the other stuff in the season. Nicole DeBoer said Ira apologized to her (laughs) after they filmed. Okay, I take that back then. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Good lord. (laughs) Nikki, what did you see? There's, There's maybe some redeeming features but can we maybe start at the beginning with the the scene about the gawk <laughs> can we start with the title though <laughs> prodigal daughter yeah i mean the, i guess the, the caveat here is you know reminding people that i was raised by a baptist minister but like <laughs> the the parable of the prodigal son is that like the son who left went and like demanded his inheritance right away and spent it all and made a bunch of bad choices but the father was so elated to see him come home that he was like, it didn't matter what mm-hmm. he had done because he came back to the family and it was an exciting thing. And he threw a feast and like his brother got jealous and like, none of that is in this, right? <laughs> no. Ezri's family is terrible. And mm-hmm. like, she is the one who made good choices by leaving. So like, I just don't understand the choice of this title unless it was just about like, Ezri's going home. I think that's the gist of it. That's probably what <laughs> happened there. But I will say that a court, if you asked Esri's mom, she made a bunch of bad choices. So And Esri's mom probably feels like she bent over backwards, like pulling favors to get O'Brien. Yeah. And there is some sibling inadequacy and jealousy going on there. So if you squint, it works. But it, it's still about like the dad being so elated. To yeah. have his son home that nothing else mattered. Mm-hmm. Right. And that that's not what's here at all. So like, no. <laughs> I guess I'm just trying to read too much into this episode title. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> I think that the accurate meaning of the phrase prodigal son or prodigal daughter has like been a little bit watered down over time. And that like prodigal is kind of broadly used to just mean kind of like a long lost returning home and people forget about the whole spent inheritance thing right yeah it's become more (laughs) of a term than an actual uh synecdoche for the bible parable or it's just like that the person that decided to name the voyager episode the good (laughs) shepherd because janeway's basically jesus (laughs) (laughs) jane (laughs) weezus i just i i think i sometimes go down these rabbit holes because we know like TOS was thought so hard about how it would be. Yes. Yes. It's like, that doesn't seem to be happening here. No. I mean, they tried, but not very hard. I mean, I think DS9 did in general, because you still got like some a decent amount of Latin titles and stuff, but yeah. this this one I think may be an exception. <laughs> 
But speaking of feasting, can we talk about that opening scene, though, of Esri finding out that a bunch of different types of gach have been delivered to her because Jazia ordered them for Martok's birthday? I mean, this one's pretty funny. It's cute. And I love that the kind of, well, of course, of there being so many different variations of gach for, like, different breeds of worms and different preparations and Esri just not being able to stomach any of them. I also like that she tells Odo to space it all, and Odo's like, environmental regulations say we can't. And I approve of the fact that there are environmental regulations. Yeah, definitely. Keep our space clean. I don't know that they had to clear those when, like, they put, you know, a minefield out in space. Okay, okay, so so, so what if they did jettison all this guy to space, <laughs> and it just hits some ship's windshield? Oh, or, no. like, eventually it just gets drawn <laughs> closer and closer to Bajor, and then there's, like, a meteor shower of gawk. It's raining worms! <laughs> but it's also food waste. Yeah. yeah. Just- you think you could just recycle it into the replicators. Or donate it to the Klingon restaurant on the promenade. That was the other yes. They're starving Bajorans who would kill for this kind of gah. Uh, could you leave it for Martok anonymously? I feel like if you did that, he would assume it was poisoned. Yeah. Or a trap, like uh, leaving a delicious roast turkey dinner for Daffy Duck. Or you just leave it with a note that's like, Dear Martok, here's a bunch of gah. Love, Garon. It's definitely <laughs> not poisoned. <laughs> <laughs> See, anytime something says definitely not poison, I'm immediately going to have 500% more questions about whether it's poisoned or not. Yeah. Uh-huh. Ezri also could have offered to give it to Worf or have Worf give it to Martok. Mm, that's true. I mean, it'd be pretty funny if Worf was actually a wuss when it came to eating gah. <laughs> Especially because he's so like, no, I'm the ultimate Klingon. And they're like, now eat your worms. And he's like, oh, I'm on a non-live diet. I can't do that. <laughs> he's a worf's on a cleanse. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he's on a targ blood cleanse. Oh my god. Uh, do you think there's a smoothies place on DS9? And if so, do they do like special green smoothies and stuff? Oh god, I don't like it. I love it. I like it. I love it. I love it. I want to know everything about it. Raw, fresh, pressed, or flesh pressed. Oh. <laughs> Targ juice. Now we're getting into some Clive Barker nonsense. <laughs> and I love it. And then like Bashir is not okay. And you know uh, is it kira that asks him if he's okay or ezri asks him and they're basically he's just like i just really miss miles yeah i mean who wouldn't poor guy yes the, the two they're they're palsies they're joined at the hip yes this is actually the moment where i was like yeah i can really see shipping them yeah <laughs> because he seems way too like longing for mm-hmm. miles for just like having his friend out of town for a little bit he does that a c- bunch of times though he has a lot of moments of oh this would be great if miles were here mm-hmm. he's just miles away Aww. would he walk 500 miles <laughs> and he would walk 500 more mm-hmm. just to be that man who showed up in the middle of the night at chief o'brien's door oh my god <laughs> Look, Sue, I don't know what you expected, really. AO3 is calling. 
<laughs> so any who's will be, we do find out that the reason that O'Brien is away is because of a carryover from a previous episode, Honor Among Thieves, which is the one where Chief O'Brien goes undercover in the Orion Syndicate. Because for some reason, Starfleet has this guy with a full-time job doing undercover stuff a bunch. Yeah. Also, Honor Among Thieves, I feel like, was kind of a forgettable episode, honestly. and It was all right. It was maybe fine. But also, I always was weirdly annoyed by trying to be asked to believe that there would be a gangster named Bilby. Just is like the least intimidating last name. He's He sounds like he's a hobbit gangster. Exactly. Starting shit all over the Shire. <laughs> we heard you done crossed Master Bilby. That really upsets me, Applecart. Oh gosh, maybe it's just because we watched Brigadoon so recently. Probably. <laughs> That's a nice cabbage patch you got there. It'd be a shame if someone's pony ran through it. <laughs> uh. Okay, also, Bilby's widow's name is Morika, but whenever I was reading it on the subtitles, I kept reading it like Murka. <laughs> Murka! Yeah. Fuck yeah! Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so then Bashir has to go and admit to Cisco that O'Brien snuck away to do this thing and that Bashir covered for him, and Cisco is unimpressed. Cisco is unimpressed and also reasonably pissed off that they didn't tell him. Yeah, I mean, yes. Yeah, I think we even get a pretty good what from Cisco. I also feel like Cisco would have just let him go do it. Honestly, like Cisco lets people go do random personal missions all the time. Cisco is a very side quest friendly leader. Yes, which honestly one of the best things you can ask for. Yep. Yeah, I appreciate. I do appreciate that they carried over a plot from a previous episode because I. It- I just always like it when they carry over threads from previous episodes. And considering the amount of times we have Chief O'Brien going off on life-changing adventures that are just never mentioned again, I really appreciate that this at least got came up again. Yeah, definitely. Unlike his space dog who lives in the station's computer and who we never heard about again. <laughs> so sad. I know! Why won't they let Chief O'Brien have a space dog? Yes. Exactly. It's like how Elmore never got to Pat spot the, the holographic cat. Yeah. Still mad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're going to be mad about it for a while, probably. But so, so Brian has this mission where he's going to find this guy's wife. And it just so happens that she was, I guess, last seen the same place that Esri's family lives. That is convenient. New Sydney. Which is great, because I, I really love the implication that there's a new every major city on Earth. Sure. But you got to imagine that it's like the really super touristy version of whatever the original city on Earth is. So it's like a whole planet devoted entirely to Australian stereotypes. Yes, they should have done that. The planet is Sephora 7, right? And the... The city is just New Sydney. Oh. Yeah, that wasn't clear in the episode, though, to be fair. And yes. I like the idea, even if it's just the city, like the law enforcement should totally have had Australian accents. <laughs> You're going down under. Yeah, they should have had like logos on their shoulders that had like 
koalas boomerangs something like that a koala getting hit by a boomerang instead of a painter norvo should have been an opera singer at the opera house (laughs) or wanting to be an opera singer because every building in the main like downtown area is made to look like the sydney opera house look we don't need star trek to have more cultural stereotypes No, but I live in the same state that has Leavenworth, which is a town based entirely around Oktoberfest stereotypes. So I can't help but, you know, want to see more of that energy that's, you know, not being used to actively discriminate a marginalized group. Yeah, like I would like there to be some Sub Rosa-esque silliness in this episode because (laughs) it doesn't have much else going for it. All right, that's... I guess that's fair. What it does have going for it is Esri getting involved in kind of a murder mystery, which it, it's funny because we we get one season of Esri and she gets multiple murder mystery episodes, which leads me to believe that she inherited both the memories of the Dax symbiont and Hercule Poirot. Mm. Or poss- possibly possibly Jessica Fletcher, considering she just keeps wandering into murders. That's a very Jessica Fletcher trait. Yeah. I mean, O'Brien kinds end up kind of ends up doing more to solve this mystery. Yeah. Although Esri partly solves it through intuition. Which is cool because, you know, she's got a psychiatric background and all that. So mm-hmm. she gets to be the one to like suss it out emotionally at the end, which is pretty, which is a cool moment for her, I gotta say. Yeah. It doesn't have her mom sitting in a big chair stroking a cat, though, which I felt like we were Ugh. so close to getting that and didn't. And I I feel like we've all got a lot to say about Esri's mom. <laughs> okay, so first of all, before Esri comes, she messages her mom to say, hey, can you help find O'Brien? And her mom basically says, I'm not gonna help unless Cisco will let you have leave right away to come visit. Because it's been three years, I think she says. Yeah. And not cool, Esri's mom. I mean, yeah, that is a long time. I get it. But, you know. Now, didn't they say that uh, she'd seen her like right after she was joined and it was really awkward and weird? Oh, right. But hasn't come home in three years? Yeah. She hasn't been to the house. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. But like, also, she is in Starfleet in the middle of a war. And the galaxy is a big place. And she's an adult with her own life and commitments. Yeah, I mean, I I totally get, you know, wanting to say, like, I miss you a lot. And I would like to see you more. Like, when do you think you can come home? But just like the approach of being like, I'm not gonna help even though your friend might be in danger unless you go tell your boss that your mom needs you to come home right now. I demand you drop everything for me in this situation. Yeah, been there. That said, as mentioned, Cisco did just let O'Brien go what, to what he thought was just to go visit his dad. So clearly being on DS9 during the war wasn't, like, that pressing a reason not to go visit your family. Well, maybe maybe O'Brien claimed it was a family emergency or something. Which mm-hmm. would explain why Cisco was, like, extra mad. Like, you told me he had rickets! Mm-hmm. And you had to rush to his side! <laughs> but let's talk about Dax going home and meeting up with this kind of a mess emotionally family. Sounds good. In their cool, cool house. That is a redress of Vic's Lounge. I know, but wouldn't you love to live in Vic's Lounge? Yeah, and also, I mean, I couldn't tell at all no. from the, the living room that it's a redress of Vic's Lounge. There's a giant fire pit in the middle of it, and it's all white. They did a good job, yeah. 
I mean, it's cool. Also, the the family house itself was designed by Matt artist Sid Dutton, and the house was based on the work of Frank Lloyd Wright, particularly Falling Water in Pennsylvania, which is a beautiful place. If you haven't seen it, you should Google it, because A, very important architect, B, really neat-looking place. Yeah, Star Trek, especially DS9, has a thing for Frank Lloyd Wright, because the house where the albino lives in Blood Oath. Yeah, that was another Frank Lloyd Wright, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. I think Frank Lloyd Wright was also having a big moment in the 90s, so... Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone was just going ham on Frank Lloyd Wright. They were like, mm, we need us some more conceptualist architects in our lives. Yeah. Show us more cement, less windows. Yeah, all about that. I mean, there's lot, lots of windows, but yeah. but like current Star Trek houses that they seem to highlight are like, all windows, like the houses we see where, like, Sarek and Amanda live. Well, let's be real. Without windows, you can't green screen a cool background going on behind your characters. <laughs> Word. <laughs> you could have a room, or you could have a room overlooking some really cool shit during your episode. Yes. Given the choice, what would you go with? Mm. I'm just not sure how much glass I'd want letting <laughs> light into my house on Vulcan, the desert planet. They probably have, like, super-tempered glass or something. Yeah, it's probably super high-tech. If they have clear aluminum, they've got to have, like, really good, like, UV-resistant glass. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or it's, like, you know, also solar-powering the house at the same time. Oh, that would be neat. Man, we got to get on top of that. I'm sure they could do that in the future. We yeah. got to get on top of that now. So Esri's mom. <laughs> Esri's mom has got it going on. No, she does not. <laughs> yes, she does. <laughs> I mean, depends what it is. If it is <laughs> maternal guilt, yes. Then absolutely. And also being, you know, primetime soap actress Lee Taylor Young, then absolutely and I, I warned Jerry I was going to bring this up. I spent a good part of the episode going like, okay, where do I know her from? Where do I go know her from? And I looked it up and she was in a Michael Crichton totally bonkers ass movie called Looker that is so unbelievably audaciously weird. I kind of love it. <laughs> and so that's just going to be the thing I forever associate with it. The movie where supermodels get plastic surgery to be even more perfect and then are getting murdered for it. Oh, is she a model who gets murdered? Yes. Okay. And if, for those of you who don't remember, Michael Crichton, author of Jurassic Park and famous user in court during plagiarism claims of saying, try and stop me. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's his whole deal. Or was. He's dead now. But yeah. Basically, his whole thing was, oh, I'm too powerful of a sci-fi writer for you to go up against me. Even if I did steal your book. <laughs> Great. <laughs> yeah. Right? That is audacious which feels very orion syndicate so fitting bringing it back to the to the episode at hand <laughs> instead of my weird segue okay so ezri's mom <laughs> ezri's mom ezri's mom sucks yeah she's terrible to all her children but in a way that you definitely like as an audience member buy in terms of some people just have moms who have very little empathy for their kids right and expect their kids to do whatever they want. And aside from the Ferengi, really, she's like one of the most capitalist characters 
I can think of in Star Trek. Calling it now, we should do another episode. Top 10 capitalists in all Star Trek. Yeah, I mean, she's definitely one of the most capitalist non-Ferengi. Yeah. and But her family is in competition with the Ferengi yeah. for mining Pergium, which is the thing they're mining in Devil in the Dark. Yeah, but why don't they have a bunch of little spaghetti critters crawling around leaving eggs? I don't know. Hopefully it's not because they killed them all. Because oh, they were just not. too capitalist, and they're not in the Federation. Oh, gosh. Yeah, they're, they're, they're cooking the books. They're paying off Orion Syndicate people. They're a sketchy bunch. And it's really, the most surprising thing is that Esri didn't know about this before coming, and is only just figuring it out. Well, it seems like it's recent. Mm-hmm. If so, her family got really good at being criminals really fast. There's usually a learning curve there, isn't there? It seems like they're bad at it. Like, yeah, I, which is... I think that too. <laughs> okay, fair. Okay, so let's talk about the brothers briefly. And you need to hear the actor bio for the actor who played Janelle Teagan, who's basically like she has two brothers that are essentially like the masculine one that is fault like doing what his mom wants mm. and taking care of the business. The butch mama's boy, right? Mm-hmm. And then the less butch artist who doesn't really have a head for or desire to do the things that his mom wants to do in relation to the business. It is very much the stereotypical tortured alcoholic artist character. Yes. So Michael Salazar, who played Janelle Teagan, who's the butcher bro. Mm-hmm. Not a butcher, just more butch. <laughs> yes, this is just part of his bio. In 1993, Salazar joined Jillian Hassel's workout studio in West Hollywood as a manager and also learned and experienced the world of the Pilates apparatus. He oh started my God. to do maintenance work for the equipment and built his own business within Southern California. This was also the time he was nicknamed the Pilates guy and started his business he is still working on. Which tracks. Good for Pilates guy. Where is this bio from? Uh, Memory Alpha. I mean, it says, like, his two acting roles, and then it says that. Oh, good for him. He uh, started out acting and then got flexible. It is entirely possible he updated that bio on Memory Alpha, or someone he knows. <laughs> yeah. Whereas our other guy who played the other brother was on the Lethal Weapon series playing a Guess what his character's name was? You're gonna love it. Lee? His, his character's name was Brooks Avery. Oh my gosh. <laughs> right? Okay, that is delightful. He has a lot more acting credits. The, the Lethal Weapon TV series was fun. I never watched it. It was fun. I got uh, I got it recommended to me by an older woman at work saying, there's just some real dishy guys on there. And I was like, well, I gotta watch now. He, he has had uh, recurring roles in some more recent series, including Madam Secretary and Mad Men. So we have these two brothers. <laughs> yep. <laughs> two brothers. And then Esri, right, who was, like, by what we hear in this episode, wanted to get out of there as quickly as possible. Can you blame her? And it's it's really interesting because everything that we've heard about, like, Trill culture to this point has been that, like, it's, it's almost everyone's desire to become joined and it's such a, a high status thing. And it's it's so desirable. Yeah, that, like, culturally, it's the best possible thing. Right. And it, her her mother seems to hate it. Yeah. Yep. Right? She seems offended that, that their family named Tegan was replaced with a symbiont named Dax. She, like, sort of rolls her eyes whenever Ezra talks about 
the difficulty she's had, like, figuring herself out. She's not accepting of, like, I have these additional memories now. And I, I mean, it's, it's an interesting twist on what we have been told of trail culture to this point, but it is also, you know, I am saying this as a cis person, but it reflects a lot of what I know I have heard and read from trans people who are yeah, trying right. to explain things to their families who just either don't get it or refuse to try to get it. We we even get a line from Esri saying, I'm still figuring out my pronouns. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, that was definitely something I was picking up on there too. And Janelle also seems to really resent her. He's kind of a dick when she first comes. And I think he seems like he's basically taking his mom's side on things and that there's a lot of resentment to her for like leaving and not taking on part of the family business. Although it seems like they were maybe okay with her being in Starfleet, Mm -hmm. but like this is a bridge too far. Yeah. How dare you not only have your own life, but have the memories of eight other lives that have in no way been influenced by your mother. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's, a super interesting point later, which uh, we can get more into the mother dynamics, but the point where she's trying to tell her mom how she needs to behave towards Norvo, the artistic brother, and her mom is just like, what do you know about this? And Ezra's like, actually, I have eight memories, of eight lifetimes of memories of this stuff. And her mom, I think, understandably is pissed a little bit by that, like this idea that you in a moment kind of were able to accumulate all of this experience that now you think entitles you to like lecture me on motherhood i can definitely see like both sides on in just like that tiny tiny moment let's be honest who hasn't had a older person or parental unit become frustrated at you needing to say yeah i'm actually i actually know more about this thing than you do please respect that Mm -hmm. or that might just be me who can say who can say (laughs) i i don't think that's just you Mm -mm. i feel like generally trying to tell your parents how to parent differently is never gonna work well even if you're right no no (laughs) yeah that is true one thing i thought was was interesting is i was reading this book like a year and a half ago that was called Hidden Valley Road. Mm-hmm. And it was about a family that had a really strong genetic predisposition to schizophrenia, which they didn't know about, but they like their family became one of the first families to be really like studied because they had, I think it was something like 10 or 12 children and like six or seven of them ended up being diagnosed with schizophrenia. Oh, wow. But the two youngest daughters who did not end up having schizophrenia, one of them, the youngest one kind of had to stay and the older one kind of was able to get out and like was essentially kind of got herself kind of half adopted by like a family friend. She got herself into like a private school and and the, the dynamic between these two girls was really interesting. That had to have been really rough. Yeah, and they talk about it in the book as adults about, you know, having to one of you know, the one who stayed had a lot of resentment and she felt like she was left to like pick up the pieces of yeah. all the stuff that was happening in the family and to like develop compassion for her her siblings that had caused, you know, not through any fault of their own, but had had, you know, caused a lot of chaos in the family and ending up needing to like be able to forgive her sister for 
not doing the same thing because they were both, you know, kids and both traumatized and one of them needed to have this different approach. And yeah, so something that I think about is because I think this happens in a lot of families and other types of scenarios in lesser, like less dramatic ways, but that some people are going to stay and try and stick it out. And some people are going to leave and ultimately no one is necessarily right or wrong in those situations, mm-hmm. as long as you're kind of clear eyed about the reality. And I think that's what we're missing in this family is her brothers don't really see that they do have options and that they're, they're making a choice to stay. Well, let's be real. The oldest brother probably feels like she left him to carry the bag in that situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. And she left him to be the one to make up for her not being there. And also he has to keep an eye out on their younger, flaky, artistic brother. I love how much of a stereotype of the temperamental artist this character is. Mm -hmm. And I... I absolutely adore that there's him being like, here's my painting. It's derivative. I hate it. Mother hung it up and just using the most kind of stereotypical over the top way to describe the painting. And then him getting mad and painting a little stick figure on it. Stick figure. I love that so much. I'm kind of trying to get myself into doing a painting series of prop paintings from TV shows, and now I really want to do that one also. (laughs) Oh, that would be super fun. Yeah. It's been fun so far. He's like upset because he didn't get into the best art academy, Mm -hmm. and his sister, uh, or Esri, is, you know, trying to reassure him, like, I still believe in you, um, but it also just kind of makes him feel bad about himself because she's kind of a bit insinuating that he he's given up yeah that pep talk was not good like you had so much potential when you were a kid what happened like that is Mm -hmm. never the appropriate way to approach that conversation especially when you're the one that bailed Mm -hmm. well hey now now esri has esri and then like eight other people in her memory being like man what happened to you (laughs) Mm -hmm. so she's got a ratio of judgmental to sibling that she's got to work with there yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's also partly just limited by the, you know, realities of episodic television that you can't have someone go through to go to like five therapy sessions before they have a breakthrough. Right. <laughs> Unless that therapy is a big part of the show itself. Yeah, exactly. You need to just have her say exactly what's on her mind instead of going a long road to coaxing it out, you know, coaxing him to realize he has more options. Yeah. But like, yeah, the mom is super, super hard on all of them. She puts a lot of pressure on, for example, Norvo for not having the books done correctly, even though he clearly has no inclination or aptitude for it. Yeah, he just kind of got roped into the family business. Yeah. And same with Janelle. She's like criticizing him for the issues, even though he's trying really hard to solve them with the equipment and stuff. But it turns out they're being sabotaged by the Orion Syndicate. And then when Esri like first shows up, she's like, Esri, oh, I hate your hair. And she's mm-hmm. like, you can see she's trying to do that in that. Oh, yeah, I'm lovingly chiding you way. But you totally see in the no, you're just being really bitchy way. Mm-hmm. And wait, can we before we, we do more plot stuff, can we talk yep. about how the insinuation is this is all because they don't have a father? I didn't see that. I didn't really see that. But yeah, let's talk about that. Do we know what happened with Ezri's dad? We have Googled. (laughs) Uh, If they said in the episode, I don't remember it. 
I, I mean, it's not mentioned in the episode. My thought is that it is not the, the most obvious implication that it's because they don't have a dad, but I think it's a very common trope we see with single mothers mm-hmm. that, you know, that maybe there's an implication that if there had been a dad, then someone would have been keeping her in check. Yeah. In terms of how she was parenting the kids. Yeah. And because she was left to her own devices, she was able to, you know, kind of the equivalent of Mama Rose of mining <laughs> on them. And now I'm just imagining an Ethel Merman godfather in space. <laughs> yep. Some people can take them to the mattresses. According to Memory Alpha, it is mentioned somewhere in the episode that their father and mother separated. Ah. That extra adds to that whole thing then, doesn't it? And in cut scenes, Esri mentions that her father stays away to avoid her mother, but was planning to return for the trial. Oh. Oh, okay. Because in the actual episode at the end, she says, I'm going to stay through the trial and then I'm going to come back to Deep Space Nine. And that's what you see at the end of the episode. But, you know, there's also a trope, and we haven't got there in the plot, but there is also a trope, obviously, of mother blame when yeah. someone commits murder. Yeah. I just spoiled the ending. Oh, no, someone committed a murder? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they find out Marika Bilby, oh, wait, Bri- O'Brien, sorry, we didn't explain that mm. Esri's mom's law enforcement friends found O'Brien. Mm-hmm. And were, like, basically super unimpressed with him, and we're just like, get him off this planet. And then he helps them in the mine and identifies that things are being sabotaged by the Orion Syndicate and says, basically, this seems like they're trying to pressure your family by causing things to go wrong and only they can fix them. Mm-hmm. And so him and Esri start investigating the books and the HR records and stuff and figure out that Marika Bilby worked for the family. <gasps> My God, what are the odds? And there's this weird scene with Esri and Miles Mm -hmm. where he he confronts her and says, did you really come here to to rescue me or did you come here to stop me? Yeah, like he thinks she's in on it for a minute there. Right, which like I don't see anywhere. Like that seems very odd to me. Yeah, Yeah. it did seem odd. But then again, he has only known her for like six episodes. And also he's potentially jealous that his BFF – is has a crush on her. <laughs> Miles has got some stuff he's working through right now. But then also Ezri just goes, no. And O'Brien's like, yeah, okay. That was that was maybe a bit much. <laughs> yeah. I believe you. But yes, we have we have O'Brien and then we have the whole setting up to be like, no, it's probably the super the super loyal brother who's the one who did the murderer inning and he's like, no, I didn't. And that's when we get to see Ezri go, no it was you, sensitive artist brother. And that's kind of her her big moment of the episode is when she just kind of realizes, oh, it was you that did it. You did it to make the accounting easier. Yeah. Basically, yeah. I mean, who hasn't wanted to kill someone rather than have to do math? (laughs) So the mom, before this happens, like back at when Ezra's doing the pep talk, after that, Norvo gets super drunk. And then Ezra's mom accuses her of like, causing that problem and Esri is validly like 
that's ridiculous. He's an adult. And that's when she is kind of questioning her mom's parental choices. Mm -hmm. And then when O'Brien and Esri find this information about how Marika Bilby worked for them and how they were increasing her salary. And this seems like syndicate stuff. Mm -hmm. Sketchy, sketchy. The mom just straight out accuses Janelle. It's like, this was you. So yeah, she's basically accusing her own kid. Right, because she turned over, like, the day-to-day operations to him. Yeah. Her kid who's been, like, bending over backwards to try and make everything work. Right. So what is she doing day-to-day? That's a question I have as well. Aside from firing people, what does she do? Right. Like, she shows up in the mine at one point and, like, makes some comments. But, yeah, that's a good question because Janelle, you know, pushes back, like, you put all of this on us and you didn't seem to care as long as things were working right. And then stuff was going badly and you just wanted us to fix it. So that's why we got got in bed with the Orion Syndicate. Right. And this is, I think, also, we can expand this to like, people who just give jobs to their children instead of the most qualified applicants, maybe? Nepotism! (laughs) It's not usually a great business plan. I really enjoy the reddit channels like malicious compliance (laughs) which (laughs) often have people dealing with like bosses or or people at work who are you know somebody's cousin or somebody's (laughs) nephew and it's Mm. just it's lovely yeah and so norvo just gets this weird look and that's when esri does that you're actually the killer and he doesn't um and so norvo basically says that he did it because he realized if she was gone, all their problems would go away, which I feel like shows a lot of naivete about the mob. (laughs) (laughs) Only one person is in our way for everything. I can commit one murder and then never again. That was great, (laughs) Jared. Yeah. I mean, also, I actually have to go back briefly because I failed to mention my favorite minor character in this episode. Yeah, so the minor character's name is Thaddeel Bokar, and he shows up in the mine. Great name. To be the most conspicuous bad guy ever. (laughs) Yeah, he does not have a mustache or a monocle. He does have shoulder pads for days. If he had a mustache, he would be twirling it. (laughs) And so my favorite line, so he basically shows up, Janelle and and O'Brien are working on this drill, and then he shows up and he has this great line, Thaddeel Bokar. I'm a commodities broker attempting to establish business ties with the illustrious Tegan family. And it's just like, if he read the one line of his character description in the script. That's like his <laughs> front of the Agatha Christie book character description. Yeah. It's his LinkedIn profile. Old man who was in the wrong place <laughs> at the wrong time. Yeah, I just was like, oh man, they could not do anything subtly in this episode because... They didn't have time, obviously, but (laughs) this guy, I think, was also unnecessary. Like, O'Brien was kind of figuring out what was going on. It feels like they had a plan for this character and then forgot to use him for anything. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a Mad Libs episode, isn't it? With ideas that were interesting, but just kind of pasted together. Right. Also, can we talk about one more thing? That between the two brothers, the one that's, you know, the anguished artist character with mommy issues is the one who kills someone in the end. Yeah. Norman Batesy, kind of. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. It's like, it's got the mother blame and the idea that the man who is like 
more effeminate or creative or artistic is Is the more volatile one. Yeah. 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 And I think, Mm. I mean, I want to think that maybe, you know, the line about how this would solve all our problems, it isn't that he's actually naive, but that they're leaning towards he's pathological, that he's like got some type of of mental illness or something. Mm. But they don't totally go there. But yeah, art school is full of pathological people. It would be in line with the trope for sure. And then like, I think we have to talk about this scene where Esri's mom says to her, like, this wasn't my fault, was it? (laughs) (sighs) I mean... And then there's just silence. Make it better, child! Absolve me of this terrible thing my children did. Child, parent me! I mean, I obviously it's a shitty thing for the mom to do, but also it's a shitty thing for the writers to do to like <sighs> jam her into that trope to be like, and it was all the mother's fault. All of this could have been solved with more attentive parenting. <laughs> like previously, Esri had been arguing that Norvo is an adult and yeah. not a child who needs special treatment. But now he's not an adult capable of making his own decisions whether or not to kill someone. Yeah, there's just a lot of different directions that this episode isn't sure what what which it's going in. Because of all of the pressure from his mother, if she just let him leave and be his own person, he wouldn't have murdered anybody. Or if only his father had been there to make her toe the line. Oh. Yep, yep. I feel like it might have worked better if... Norvo had made the decision and killed Marika Bilby while Ezri and O'Brien were on the planet. So, like, maybe Marika Bilby was missing but not dead. Mm-hmm. And then Norvo kills her while they're there. Mm-hmm. Then there would have been a situation where Norvo had had the opportunity from Ezri to leave, but he still chose to do this thing versus what we have now where, like, Essentially, all of the actions already happened before the episode even started. Yeah, come to think of it, they do just kind of show up after everything that's interesting has already happened. And then they have to uncover it, and it's really easy because these are not <laughs> not hardened criminals. And yet they're working with the Orion Syndicate for some reason. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> they're kind of being shaken down by the Orion Syndicate, and they're playing out of their league. Oh, no, yeah, that's that's the that's the crux of this episode. A lot of people playing out of their league. I mean, it really does make you excuse Esri for not wanting to go home and visit her mom. Her mom is legit the worst. Yeah, you you absolutely understand it. And bad moms, bad dads, bad parents of all kinds do exist in real life. So maybe you can find some relatability there that's helpful. Mm-hmm. In addition to some of the, the trans parallels that are potentially helpful to identify with, maybe there's a... Also, I don't really like to go visit my mom that much because she's manipulative. That could be useful, but Mm -hmm. it also is just a crappy trope when you don't have like a lot of other examples of different types of moms in Star Trek. Which is funny because I feel like Star Trek as a whole puts so much emphasis on like these grand complex father-son relationships, but a lot less on mother-daughter just just by scale, I think we see a lot more father-son than mother-daughter. The only other one that comes immediately to mind is the Troys. Yeah, which is very much a mother. And then 
to Paul and her mom, which is not dissimilar mm. to the Esri relationship, except for her mom's not actively evil, but her mom does, you know, not understand her and is trying to fit her into a box. And well, they're all kind of controlling and manipulative and overbearing. Mm-hmm. And we've got Balana's mom, who's just cartoonishly Klingon. Uh-huh. So she's, she's, she's kind of an over the top monster mom. Yeah, there's been um, definitely some. Uh, academic writing on moms and motherhood in Star Trek and uh, analysis of how some of the attitudes are kind of problematic to conservative about the whole thing. Um, The other, I was reading a paper the other day and the other example it was talking about was about Samantha Wildman who just like has a baby and then leaves it with Neelix the whole time. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, Crusher literally leaves her son on the ship and goes elsewhere. (laughs) Yeah, and and like all the focus is on the father figures in his life. Yeah, 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 yeah. When he's got an awesome mom. It's all about the the male mentor or the father figure or the father-son relationship. And we don't – the relationship between women on Star Trek, at least at this point, has not been given – even the same sort of respect. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think that that started has changed since then. Yeah. And like specifically, I think they tried to do that in the very beginning of Discovery with Burnham and Georgia. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. And I think in Voyager as well with Janeway as a mentor and with Seven mentoring Naomi, but there were yes. still, it was coinciding with these kind of challenging mother tropes as well. Mm-hmm. Before we wrap up, do we have any final thoughts on this episode that we want to share? Other than Esri's mom just kind of sucks. I mean, this can be this can be a hard one to watch if you have some family stuff in your own life. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just kept getting mad. Mm-hmm. I would give it two and a half out of five self-vandalized paintings. I will give it... One and a half out of five derivative sculptures. <laughs> if the unit is bad, does the higher the rating mean that it's worse? Don't read into it too much. <laughs> I'm I'm going low. One out of five awkward family meals. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That about wraps things up for us today here on Women at Warp. Sue, where can people find more from you online? You can find me on Twitter at Spaltor. That's S-P-A-L-T-O-R. And next month, Labor Day weekend, you can find me in Atlanta, Georgia at DragonCon. Ooh, drinking the sweet tea down in Georgia with the dragons at their con. Drinking the apple pie down in Georgia. Ooh. What about you, Jarrah? Where can people find more from you? You can find me on Twitter at J-A-R-R-A-H Penguin. And you can also find me at TrekkieFeminist.com, where I have been posting a bunch of new stats on the gender breakdown of behind the scenes positions in Star Trek. And I'm Grace, and you can find more from me on Twitter at BoneCrusherJank. And just elsewhere, in all of the forms of Women at Warp, I have my sticky fingers. <laughs> for more from our show you can follow us at women at warp.com or on social media at women at warp and you can reach out to us on social media at women at warp if you wish to email us you can reach us at crew at women at warp.com thanks so much for listening that was me doing godfather music 